This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm food editor Aaron Bookie, and I host our food podcast at the Dallas Morning News called Eat Drink DFW. Each week, we're dropping a segment of the show right here in this feed. If you want to hear the full show and make sure you never miss an episode, then just search for Eat Drink DFW wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links for it at dallasnews.com slash listen. Happy eating. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about big restaurant trends with Ron Ruggles. But right now, I'm joined by food writer Sarah Blaskovich, Claire Baller, and producer Julie Fist to talk about what's trending. So last week, Sarah, we got information that PETA would be driving a big squawking chicken truck to various Dallas chicken restaurants. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, said perfectly, Aaron. It's a truck that has pictures of chickens on the way to the slaughterhouse, and they play the sound of chickens squawking as they drive around. And what they said was they were going to start at AT&T's World Headquarters, which is in downtown Dallas, where the AT&T Discovery District is, which has a big food hall. There happens to be a chicken place inside the food hall. And I think probably several vendors serve chicken things. And then they pledged to go to five other chicken restaurants in Dallas and then hit about six in Fort Worth. So this was between Thursday and Sunday of last week. And so they didn't tell these restaurants that they were coming, right? I don't believe they did. And several of them heard about it from my news story. Yeah. And it seemed like we um, got some video of it also. And I think a lot of people watching the truck go by were very confused. Yeah. I mean, the idea is to tell people that this is gross and that you should go vegan. However, there was video in other cities of people's reactions. And like half of the people were like, I'm just hungry for chicken. (laughs) You know, so I don't think it works in every scenario, but it was certainly a talker. They realize this is Texas, right? Like we see trucks filled with livestock all the time. Yeah. But you know, Julie, the thing I didn't do was challenge PETA on what PETA thinks. That's not what this journalist did in that scenario for a lot of reasons. Good point. And so what kind of emails did you get on this, Sarah? Yeah, um, there were many. And the the best one was that someone said in the subject line, I am so disappointed in you, period. And then they went on to explain that they were really sad that I talked about this on NBC. Every Thursday, I do a three to five minute segment about food news. And I mentioned this at the top of it. And this person just wanted me to know that by me saying this out loud, that it was giving PETA a larger platform to talk about their brand and about their beliefs. He thought that this was stupid and that I must as well. And what I told him, I'm just doing my job, man. It wasn't an opinion piece about whether PETA should be here or not be here. It was just simply where they will be. And in fact, the news story had bullet points. It will be at this place on this street from 3 to 5 p.m. on this day. Take that for what you will. Go there if you want to see the truck or if you want to see what it's like. Don't go if this makes you uncomfortable to be talked to by PETA folks who may make you feel uncomfortable just being the messenger here. And so I explained it to this guy. And the thing I love is when a human talks to another human about their job, usually the human comes back to say, 
Oops. So this guy who's very disappointed in me wrote back to say he appreciated the other things that I do. I like how he said it. Like he was like your dad. Like he's very disappointed. No, it was very, <laughs> it felt personal. I mean, I opened it to be sure I didn't know him. Right. You know, like a friend or a family member is very disappointed in me. Um, I don't know this guy, but we did become friends by the end, which is one that reason. happens, yeah. I love to email with people, especially if they don't like what I'm doing. Because gosh, nine times out of 10, we can usually end up in the same spot. And this was a good example of that. But I just want everybody to know, I got no dog in the fight with PETA and where they go and what they do, but it is my job to report food news in Dallas. And I think that one was particularly important to our audience because they were going to restaurants that we cover a lot. You know, we talk a lot about what journalists should and shouldn't do. And I'll say that uh, if we are writing stories that people want to read and informing them about their community, that story was the number one story on DallasNews.com on the mm-hmm. day it was written. That's proof that it should have been done because people cared. Okay, moving on to another trend that we've been noticing lately. Sarah, you've written about a few new Australian restaurants. I know. Is this a thing? Erin, it could be a thing. I heard you refer to it as a boomlet, which is the most perfect word to describe a thing that's almost a thing, but we're not really sure if it's a thing yet. Right. Yes. We have an existing restaurant owned by Australian folks called Isla and Co. And it's in the Bishop Arts District. There's Aussie Grind in Frisco, of course. And I think it's expanding, Uh right, Erin? Tell us where. Uh, They're expanding to Farmer's Branch with a second location in a few months. And then we have this new place that's opening in what used to be known as the Quadrangle in Dallas. We're going to now call it the Quad because it's been Mm. being renovated and this is the new name, but it's going to be called Two Hands and it's an Australian cafe. They do kind of this all day cafe thing with coffee in the morning, but then brekkie, which is like breakfast most of the day. And then usually a little bit of a finer dinner that's not fancy. LDU is also Australian owned, isn't it? Yeah, perfect. There's another example. And LDU has, gosh, four or five locations where they're serving coffee in DFW. So yeah, I don't know that Australian people opening restaurants is quite a high level thing yet. We have lots of different kinds of people opening lots of different kinds of restaurants, but these are specifically trying to bring Australian culture, whatever you think that to be, to the the feeling of the restaurant too. And that goes for LDU and Two Hands and Aussie Grind and Isla. So what makes something Australian? Like how is Australian food different? It's a good question. And I don't know that I can answer that. I've asked this question of the Isla and Co owner, and he says, first of all, Australia is a place of many cuisines because it's a place of all kinds of different people. That's kind of your non-answer answer. The other thing I think is this all day casual cafe thing where coffee is possibly drank all day. There are cocktails midday to in the evening and then brekkie all day if you want it. But yeah, what specific dishes? I think there are a couple that most Australian cafes have and then everything else is up to the interpretation of the chef. Also in, in Australia, I think like coffee culture is like a big deal. The flat white originated in Australia, I believe. It seems almost like a mm-hmm. vibe rather than like a cuisine. Right. Like we're just going to hang here all but day like and be a chill. a lowercase V vibe. Yes. Not an uppercase V yes, vibe. Yes, no, no, no. Which is different. It's not vibe that's, dining. That's sparklers <laughs> and dry ice, that's, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do any of you guys remember Olivia Newton-John's store Koala Blue? Mm-mm. I don't remember that. I remember Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> I like Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, why didn't we mention Outback Steakhouse at the top of his Australian <laughs> boomlet? Just kidding. But I mean, it, it does need to be mentioned, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Can I, I say that that Bloomin' Onion is delicious? It's really good. I yeah. don't know if I've had one in 10 years, but gosh, that thing's good. And then I learned through some stupid news story that it's super bad for you. Of course it is. <laughs> of course, it's like just fried hell. My sister- It's a fried vegetable. My sister had her birthday dinner at Outback Steakhouse this year. Oh, recently? Uh, recently, <laughs> yes. And we were laughing because I had said recently, I have been craving a Bloomin' Onion and the uh, the salad. They've got a really good salad at Outback Steakhouse. And your sister was like, uh, you're in luck. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about experiential dining and how that's a trending thing, like Outback was kind of it back in the 90s. Totally. You know, uh, I wonder so if fondue will come I'm back. I'm from Arizona, as you know. Sorry. Yeah. Texas Roadhouse was like a cultural experience. This is so fun. Yeah. And did you feel like you were in Texas, whatever that might be like when yeah, you were not there? Yeah, I didn't know there? what that meant because I had never really been to Texas. Yeah, but that's it was so like, to great. me, I thought of growing up as a kid, Outback Steakhouse and Texas Roadhouse were like the same thing, just different cultures. That's not wrong. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So another thing we've been talking about recently, I sent out my newsletter last week and asked people about their favorite neighborhood restaurant, because I know last week's podcast, we sort of lamented, you know, the loss of the neighborhood restaurant in favor of a lot of these big restaurants coming in. And I got so many responses. It was lovely to see like how many people have their own favorite neighborhood restaurant where people know them and they have their regular orders. So I'm just going to read a few. Let's see. Sue's was on there several times. Um, same with the Lover's Seafood, Bar None, East Dallas. Then we have uh, Le Bill Bouquet, Princey on Royal, Nona was on there, Fish City Grill, Avanti, and North Point Cafe in Denton. Mm. Um, and I had not heard of that place yet, so I'm gonna have to check it out. But that sort of brings a question, like what is a neighborhood restaurant to you guys? To me, it's it's one of those places that you're not exactly sure like when it opened or how long it's been there. It just kind of feels like it always has been there. Um, and a place that I think you can walk in and know people's names because often the staff has been around for a while too. And to me, the best ones are like made by and for the people living in direct proximity to it. Uh, oftentimes, I, I think the, the best little spots like that, you talk to the owners and they live down the street. But yep. to me, they're just, they're cozy spots that you feel like you can just show up exactly as you are. Yeah, I agree with you totally, Claire. And I think that price has something to do with my view of a neighborhood restaurant. It's affordable. You go in the middle of the week with your kids and your kids are welcome. Now, I think this phrase neighborhood restaurant is at odds with how I think of neighborhoods in Dallas. I know we've lamented maybe the potential loss of the neighborhood restaurant. But I think today and in the future, Dallas has incredible neighborhood restaurants. And when I use that phrase, I mean that we have many excellent neighborhoods that are very different from one another that have restaurants that feel very specifically placed in those spots. So there's a lot of restaurants in Preston Hollow that people in Preston Hollow eat at and love and are maybe not known by folks outside of that area. You go to Oak Cliff and somebody who lives in Oak Cliff loves the restaurants in Oak Cliff. Same with Highland Park, same with East Dallas. I think that that when you get inside those neighborhoods, though, it kind of then the price point depends, right? So I think we really excel at neighborhood restaurants if it comes to restaurants with a neighborhood identity. But once you get into those neighborhoods, where can you spend uh, 40 or $50 for a family and have a really excellent meal? That is a different question and maybe wouldn't be the same list of neighborhood restaurants. Another thing I want to say is that Nick Badavinas created neighborhood services in several neighborhoods of Dallas, and that place is too expensive for my family to eat once a week, right. but was long hailed as an excellent neighborhood restaurant and was given the darn name neighborhood services because of it. Yeah. And it's kind of so a bad me- example. Well, it kind of reminds me of Homewood. Like Homewood to me is very neighborhoody feeling, but special. So it's like yep. neighborhood plus restaurant. Yep. Maybe. Well, and here's the thing. 
it is in or near Highland Park. Right. Could it be an every Tuesday spot for someone who lives in Highland Park? And is it their neighborhood restaurant? That's true. Possibly. Is it my neighborhood restaurant or yours? Probably not. But we yeah. also don't live in the neighborhood. And it might have something to do with like stage of life. Because sure. um, like one of my favorite neighborhood places is RM1220, which is famously not kid friendly. <laughs> That's right. And uh, but we don't have small children. So it's very common for Dave and I to go and sit at the bar and have a couple drinks and eat the mussels and split a meal, you know, so that is our favorite neighborhood place. But it was very different five years ago when we were taking our kids to Shady's or someplace like, yep. like that where you needed something more affordable where the kids could drop something on the floor and you wouldn't get scalped at. Yeah, great point. That's um, kind of the point that I'm at right now where I'm in need of some more toddler friendly neighborhood spots. And I'm like, man, in Europe, at least in my time living in Italy, everything's centered around piazzas, right? And so you have your little restaurants and bars that are kind of circling around this piazza. And there, the families, like the, the parents will sit and be drinking wine and dining as the kids just kind of run around the piazza. And I'm like, where is a place like that here in Dallas where I can sit and have a calm environment and enjoy a glass of wine and let my kid run free. I have an excellent, really not the same option. Okay. <laughs> in Grandscape, in the colony, okay. which is not where you live. No. There's a huge turf in the middle of that thing with like a stage at the end. And there's a pizza place and a couple other places near it. Now, this ain't no Italy, Claire, but <laughs> my children have run out there while I sat on the patio and drank wine and watched it happen. That but, sounds great. You know, like, welcome to Dallas. We'll we'll give you a turf on top of some concrete. You know, I think there's the same kind of setup at where Conoroso just opened oh. at Hillcrest and Arapahoe. This is part of the reason it broke my heart when Laduni closed at North Park Mall because you could sit out on the patio at Laduni and you can still sit on the patio at Breadwinners and let your kids go nuts out there and play hide and go seek and run around in that. Um, what would you call that? It's like a patio. Park. What's the Dallas version of a piazza? A piazza. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes. In the court, in that a courtyard. Court in the courtyard. Thank you. And um, and that's. I mean, we spent several bottles of wine out there with friends, letting the kids play while we would hang out on. The the patio was great. You know, I think we're trying, but I, I think that restaurant culture here is just different than the one you're explaining, Claire, and I want it. I know. To me, I'm like, that would be my ideal kind of neighborhood restaurant where I can, there can be a space for me and my toddler who gets into everything. Okay. Well, thanks guys. And thank you all for sharing your favorite neighborhood restaurants with us. We'll definitely be um, keeping our eye on new ones opening as well as everyone's favorites. Stick around. We're going to talk with Ron Ruggles about how Dallas fits into the national restaurant scene. Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.